Hello, my name is Dave Ferguson, and I have the privilege of serving as uh, the president of the Exponential Conference. And I want to welcome you to our webinar, uh, where we're getting to talk to really, I mean, two friends of mine. And I think you are in for a a real treat today. Um, I would say that you're going to who you're going to get to hear from, um, and we're going to primarily focus on on Dietrich's book. But you're really going to get to hear from two of the premier thought leaders. Uh, in the European church. And um, I'm excited about what I'm going to learn. And I hope you are as well. One of the things I'd encourage you to do, um, feel free to leave questions in the, uh, in the chat or uh, Brooks will be picking those up so we can make sure we see them because we'd love to interact with you on uh, all things church planning as we get moving uh, through this webinar. So jump in there, let us know what, uh, what questions you have and how, how we, we can help. Um, so, but without any further ado, I do want to welcome uh, both Dietrich Schindler and Oyvind Auckland. Great to have you guys with you. I'm going to give you a little applause there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank and, you. Um, I'll tell you, why don't we do it this way instead? We'll, we'll, start, we'll start with Oyvind and then we'll go to, to Dietrich. Who, and Dietrich's kind of the star of our show this time, Oyvind. Sorry. <laughs> um, Oyvind, why don't you introduce yourself to the folks here who may not know who you are and tell a little bit what you do. Um, certainly all over Europe and other parts of the world. So my name is Eivind Oglund. I'm from Norway. Someone think that's the capital of Sweden, but it's a own nation and it's in another part of Europe. And uh, I've been lived there, grown up there, been a church planter in one denomination and led the national movement for church planting. And then in different ways, last 10 years, 15 years, served into Europe to see a multiplying movement of church planting called M4. And then uh, I'm so happy to get in contact with Exponential, with like-minded in someone with a passion in the heart and the same course of seeing multiplication happen. And we link together with Exponential. I also heading up together with an, a leader of, in Germany called Jürgen Eisen, the Exponential in Europe. And we have just started the journey of the next 10 years to really see something in our heart to see some change in Europe. And, and I'm, maybe I should also say, and that's very important for me, I'm married with Linda, I have four kids. They are 20, 22, 24, 26 years old. And that's a huge part of the journey we have had also as a family in church planting. And I'll tell you, Oyvind, before we, before we move on too, um, for, for our audience, I mean, Oyvind is leading the charge uh, for Exponential Europe and has really done a brilliant job. It has been great for us in the U.S. to be partnered with them. Tell everybody a little bit about this last year too with Exponential Europe because it's been, I mean, for us, it's been quite a roller coaster, but we really feel like God has really taken us to a place that we never would have expected, but it's yielding tremendous fruit. So talk about that just for a little bit to give a little bit of background. Yeah, we we had a goal to kick off Exponential in Berlin, a little bit the capital of Europe with 2,000 leaders uh, last year, but probably most of you understand that that was not possible. And in, in June, we thought maybe we could do an exponential conference in 100 cities in Europe instead of one place and do a round table. And within three months, we shift and we had 2,000 leaders in 30 nations of Europe in 100 round table in the midst of COVID because we made it local and multipliable into the place and nation and in 20 different languages. And that was a really roller coaster journey, but it was 
I think honestly, it was God's move uh, that we we had to make it locally immediately. And kind of to speak to our the last time our exponential conference gathered, our theme was together around collaboration. And one of the things that we've experienced in the U.S. is because of our collaboration now with Exponential Europe, what they actually did is why we started doing roundtables in the U.S. So even though they're kind of the rookies, the newbies, they're just getting started, we already feel like there's innovation happening there and we're learning from them. And again, that's, the, that's, that's why we're better together. And uh, it, has been, it has been great uh, to be a part of that together. So that's all I've been. And I also want to introduce you to uh, Dietrich Schindler. Dietrich is also on our board and has been a key part of what we're doing through Exponential Europe. But I don't want to steal any more thunder. Uh, Dietrich, uh, tell us a little about yourself and, uh, and uh, maybe even a hint of this project we're going to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. My, well, thank you. Um, you might say, what, what, where is he from, uh, Dietrich? That doesn't sound very American. Uh, I'm actually, I was actually born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but to German immigrant parents, my mother named me after Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who we all know and love. Um, so, um, and the Lord called me back to my uh, fatherland to plant churches when I was 26 with my wife Jan. And we have, we've been here for 35 years, planted five German-speaking churches. I became the head of church planting for the German Evangelical Free Church Department uh, denomination, um, and then became a consultant for church planting in Europe, and also involved with Exponential and NC2P and M4. Yeah, a privilege to be here. And then this year, I wrote um, Shift, the Road to... um, level five church multiplication. And I think one of the reasons I'm super excited about, um, about us getting to talk to Dietrich and Oivan is uh, because they, um, while they currently live in a European context, they understand the American context. And so there, there's a breadth of knowledge here that's going to be able to help us. You can see on your screen there, there's the book. We're really excited about that. Uh, Shift. Uh, subtitled The Path to Five, to Level Five Multiplication. Um, I highly recommend that you, uh, that you pick this up. Um, uh, you can get that through uh, both Exponential and I also, I think it's also available on Amazon. So make sure you, you get that book. I'll tell you, let's just jump into the conversation here, though, Dietrich. Um, um, kind of like why, I mean, what was the impetus? Because every time you and, and you're a, a pretty prolific writer, but I know every time you take up the task of writing, there's something behind it. There's an impetus behind mm-hmm. it. There's a cause because you're going to spend, I mean, um, hours and hours of your life pouring and sweating over a project like this. What was, uh, what was the impetus for you to write uh, Shift? Yeah, there were a number of things, Dave. Um, for one, uh, looking just at the scriptures, the way they did ministry in the first century, I ascertained it's different than the way that we do ministry, especially church planting. So I saw the disconnect there, and I thought that we need to talk about that. And that's why one reason why I wrote it. Another reason was that um, oftentimes here in Europe, at least, we get informed in terms of church planting from the North American context or from India, Asia, Africa. But those, those concepts are not working in postmodern, post-Christian Europe. And so we need something that is contextualized, uh, European, that will give even Americans, North Americans, an idea of where they're going to be headed in 20 years. Because if you want to know 
where America will be in 20 years, you need to come to Europe today uh, because then that's, that's what will help you to, to navigate the cultural shift that you'll be in. And then I, I spent the last 10 years um, giving about 70 different talks on church planting and the best 12 of them I put together in, in this book, uh, the most helpful ones to my audience. So that's uh, some of the reason why I wrote Shift. Why don't you go ahead, just to explain too, I mean, you use the metaphor shift and I, I actually, I love the cover um, and you kind of explain it right there in the introduction. Why, what does that mean, shift? Yeah, well, the, the way that we do ministry needs to change in order for us to be more effective in doing ministry. So if we keep doing what we have been doing, we'll be getting what we have been getting. And the question is, do we want that? And oftentimes we don't. And so um, the, these 12 shifts are different ways of going about ministry to come to better fruition in ministry, to see things happen that we believe God can do, but we've never seen them happen. So the, the premise of the book is see what you believe and not just believe hoping that you'll see it, but you, this is a way that you can actually realize what you believe. Okay. Hit me that, hit me that again. Cause I know we want to get into some of the like basic explanation of level five multiplication, but hit me that again. See what you believe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oftentimes we're so, pra we're so um, theoretical about church planting and leadership and evangelism, things like that, but we don't have a pathway to really travel on in which to see good results. So um, the book is about how to apply these biblical principles contextually in a way that you can actually see results that you've never seen before. Well, I'll tell you what, I mean, uh, I think that probably, uh, I think that probably really speaks to, 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 our, to your American audience. Cause I mean, they do like to see results. I think sometimes to a fault, but I think, yeah. I think that is a strength of what you you've done here. Maybe, maybe we could jump in and maybe we could kind of tag team because I think to set the stage for this, we need to kind of unpack uh, what level five church multiplication looks like. Am I right? Right. Yeah. Give, uh, us, give us an overview of what is level five. Yeah, I'll jump in and do that. So for those of you who are, if you are new to Exponential, um, let me kind of explain this to you. If, if you've been around for a while, hopefully this is something that's familiar. I was about so... Uh, five or six years ago that we, uh, we, we did some, we did our homework on churches in the, in the, in the North American context to start with. And one of the things we came out of that with was an understanding that basically churches fall into one of five different levels. Uh, and as you see on your screen, there's, there's level one churches that are in decline. And that's a church that's as, as you graph it there, you see who are less people on mission this year, less people saying yes to Jesus this year than last year. And in our context, the U.S. context, that makes about 35% of, uh, of, of the churches. Um, then when you go to level two, and that's that second line there, it was plateauing, that straight line. Those are churches that you saw maybe added a few people, you lost a few people, a few people were on mission, a few people kind of faded away. But basically, it's about the same. It's a static, kind of a, a steady state. And so we call those plateauing churches or level two churches. And again, just like declining the number of plateaued churches was about 35%. And then when you get to level three, level three churches are those churches that are growing, or we sometimes use the term adding here to adding. And, that, and those are churches that are saying, you know what, we've seen a few more people say yes to Jesus. A few more people are fired up about the mission or on mission with us. And that percentage is the remainder of 
So in total, you have about 35% that are declining, 35% plateauing, and about the remaining 30% are adding. Now, I know Dietrich's passion and Oyvind's passion and mine and all of us at Exponential is really in these last two categories of reproducing or multiplying churches. And a reproducing church is any church that's ever started a brand new church or even added another site, but they've reproduced at some level. Uh, when we first did the homework on this in the U.S., it was only about 4% of all churches would fall into that category of reproducing. And that would be 4% of the other 100%. That might be an adding, plateauing, or declining. Mostly we're in the adding category, but they also were reproducing. Um, one of the exciting things that we've seen over the last few years now, when we last did the homework, um, we found that that number has actually grown from 4 now to 7%. And while that's still not what we'd like for it to be, we're looking at 10% or beyond to really make a big difference. It is trending in the right direction in the American context, and we're excited about that. Then there's level five multiplying. And I think level five multiplying is what Dietrich addresses in this book, Shift. Uh, but that, and that's what we really want to see, because we believe that was Jesus' vision for the church. And that Acts 1-8 kind of vision of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, a truly multiplying church. Not just maybe one time in your history or a couple times in your history you planted a church but you're constantly over and over again, multiplying brand new churches and really multiplying at every level, disciples, leaders, artists, groups, teams, campuses, yes, churches, maybe even networks. And uh, that's the most kind of move, movemental form. And so when we talk about level five, we're really looking at, okay, how do we move towards like reproducing and then level five multiplying? And, um, and that's where, where shift comes in because it's the path or the roadway to, to level five multiplication. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let Oyvind, Oyvind, why don't you, uh, why don't you throw a fastball at, at Dietrich and see if he can hit it, okay? I just want to say, this is what really inspired us in Europe also, to really, how could we? And you, in some way, you gave us a language that helped us a lot. And I think that when you really get the language, uh, and that's our, what we want to see in Europe, that when you see a change in language and behavior in the Church of Europe, move towards reproduction multiplication. And I think, uh, like your book, Dietrich, is really helping us. You, ha you have 12 shifts. You talk about 12 shifts. And, and what you say, we really want to see something practical, that you can take something of the, that's in the book. And I think it's very practical. But Dietrich, what's, what's the unique of your book? Yes, mm -hmm. it's practical, but, but the shifts and what are your main thought that you really want to come through in the book? Mm -hmm. There are a number of things that are very unique about uh, shift, and you'll you'll not find it um, these topics addressed any other place. The first shift is to shift from organizational to organic church planting. So uh, the way that we go about church planting in the Western world is that we organize new churches. So a gifted leader um, gets his starter team, and they devise a, a philosophy of ministry. They, they lay out a, a path to go on. They've got a lot of advertisement. They've got a lot of staff. They've got money. They do a lot of, um, yeah, of, of that kind of thing. And then they launch. And, and oftentimes the launch, they, they launch a worship service without knowing that what they're doing, actually. Uh, they're, they're building another event without necessarily birthing a church. So the first shift is shift from organization to organic. Um, and I talk about the Lydia model in the New Testament. 
all New Testament churches were conversion-based new churches. Um, and I think that we need to get back to that. So where do you start planting a church? Well, you start in the harvest field and not in the barn. You start with people who are far from God and you lead them to Jesus and they become the core of your new church. And we're seeing some of this happen, um, shift from big to small, uh, from cognition to emotion, um, from membership to discipleship, from asking what to what if. These are a number of radical shifts in the way that we do ministry. Um, let me let me just um, uh, talk about that first shift again, from organizational to organic. Um, I think that oftentimes we don't go about organic church planting, conversion-based church planting, because we have domesticated God. Uh, we have put him into our our scheme of things. So we we have expectations of the way that God has to work. And sometimes he has to work predicated upon the past. And so we idolize the past and we say, this is the mold that we put God in and he can't do it any other way. And then we, we lack models of conversion-based church planting, uh, especially in the Western world. And then um, the church planting approach that is organizational is often pastoral when it needs to be missional. So when I say that, Uvid, um, it's pastoral and it needs to be missional. What do you say to that? What, what is missional uh, leadership in ter terms of church planting? I, I, for me, it's always thinking about the people that are outside the church, always thinking how do we interact? And, and, and as, a, as a pastor, I'm leading the sheep all the time. It's I giving direction, I'm leading them, and I need to lead them to be in contact with the really harvest field, that people that are outside the church. So we don't do program for the people in the church. The people in the church are the program. They are the people who really we want to equip to be there for the people uh, for 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 people outside. And I think that's a that's a huge shift because often we think that being pastor is, is bringing people together. But the, 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 I will say the, 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 what's described the past, like the shepherd, is he bringing the flock to places. He's, he's leading the flock. He's not just gathering the flock. He's leading the flock. And I think that's a, it's a huge shift in the mindset of pastoral thinking. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Hey, hey Dietrich, I'd like to go back to something you said, too, because I, I, I'm not sure this is going to be as familiar, and it needs to be more familiar to our American audience, too. <clears throat> you talked about conversion-based church planting, and I, I, I love the colloquialism. It needs to start in the harvest field and not in the barn. <laughs> <laughs> well, well said. Um, could you give us a little more on why that's not commonly used today? Yeah, well, I think, Dave, um, one reason is that um, we're, we don't see it. We, it's not on our radar. And the people that are um, um, teaching us church planting are teachers and shepherds. They're in our institutions. They're not the apostles, the evangelists, uh, the, the prophets. They're not the missional type people. So they're giving us... Um, 
almost business plans on how to how to plant a church organizationally. Um, and it's a safe way to do it. It's high high administrative, but low risk. Um, and it's um, it's a way that you can do it. Um, I think of um, um, the guy who started Vineyard uh, years ago, John, John Wimber. He said you could you could start a gas station with church growth principles, <laughs> and that's sort of the same thing here. Yeah, I mean you could start a business with these principles that we talk about oftentimes in institutions and in the books on church planting, and so. Um, I think we need to get away from that. I think that that's legitimate, but we need to get away from that. We need to uh, find a different way of doing it. Well, to, to really kind of ground this too, because I know one of the things I love about conversation with you is, is you're not just a thought leader, you're also a practitioner. I mean, you've planted right. lots of churches. So yeah. I'd love for you to like examples. So when you talk about conversion-based church planning, and again, part of the issue you said is we, haven't, we don't see it. I would love for you to help people see it with a story. So yeah. maybe it's from your own life. Maybe it's in your own church planning efforts. Maybe it's from the people, even somebody you talked to recently who's no, here's how this, what, here's what it looks like, but help, help us. And if you got a couple of them, help us yeah. see, actually see it. Cause I think if we can see it, maybe then we can, like you're saying. Yeah. Hey, yeah. It all begins, I think, Dave, with how do we evangelize? And um, my third chapter in the book is shift from cognition to emotion. And I quote uh, Timothy Keller that we all know and love. And Tim says, um, Christianity has to make emotional sense before it makes rational sense. And so how do we um, have an emotional-based um, um, presentation of the gospel? Well, about eight years ago, the Lord gave me, um, just out of the blue, a new course that was a course that is emotional in its, in its emphasis on, on postmodern people. And we have done it now over a thousand times in Europe. We're starting to bring it to the United States and to the UK. Um, and every fourth non-Christian in the course is giving his life to Christ. It is. Um, Let me jump in here because if you yeah. you probably won't do this, so I'm going to make you do it. If someone would like to see that course or get access to it, yeah. where do they go to get that? Yeah, you Google um, or you go on mylifeworkshop.net. MyLifeWorkshop.net, my life small case. Okay. Um, and it's basically um, emotion that leads to cognition that leads to faith. So um, in a postmodern context, what a non-Christian doesn't like is prepackaged material. So this course is autobiographical as they um, discover things about their lives we extrapolate with them into the gospel. It is a pain-based approach of evangelism. You know, uh, Generation Zs, uh, are they're full of pain. So as you begin to tap into their pain and they discuss their pain with one another, we connect that with the pain of Jesus in their stead in the gospel. Um, so it is, um, it is a pain-based approach to evangelism. Is getting a lot of a lot of traction, and we've seen in Austria uh, just last year a church started through this course, through the fruit of people who've come to Christ through it, and then the, a leader took them, and and in another town they started a new church. And so, I mean, it so it really starts with the pain in someone else's life, and uses that almost as a starting point to lead them to Jesus. In the, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, if we talk about uh, them being like coins or like Steve Jobs, you're 
we're shaped by the positive and the painful events and people in our lives. And we begin to go from there. And I'll tell you what, too. I mean, we're, I want to get back to the, and I know this is a part of the book shift, but I remember a conversation, I mean, me and you had on this exact topic at the Yellow Box. You were in Chicago and we got to hang out together. Mm. And I, I remember I was just, I was taken with it because I don't know anybody in the American setting that's talking about it exactly the same way you are with the same kind of really helpful tactics to go along with mm. it. Too. I mean, I'm thinking about in my, my own life too. Um, it was a couple of years ago, but a friend of mine named Michael, who, I mean, he uh, tragically was in a car accident with a friend of his who died. Hmm. He felt responsible. Huh. And that was a burden he carried for 20 years. And it really was the relational approach of, I mean, I could call it evangelism. It was, I was really just being his friend. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually we, we became good enough friends that this pain point that he had, that he'd never told anybody about except his wife. He confided in me. And that was the opportunity for me to get the chance to introduce him to like both Jesus forgiveness and also the redemption. And, um, and I mean, and, and as I think about that, that story, it's exactly the kind of stuff I think you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So um, conversion based church planning. Okay. This is really helpful and, and why it's not commonly used today. If you want to kind of wrap that up. No, I was just going to say that if you if you invite a non-Christian to a normal apologetics kind of course, um, this is what you need to do. Um, you need to convince him that he should be interested in something that doesn't interest him. Yeah. He's really not interested in the question, is there a God? Who is Jesus? Is Christianity relevant? Is the Bible true? What he's interested in is, is his own life. So I built the course on the the, predic- the premise of narcissism. The, he or she loves themselves more than anything. And um, I mean, it, it, it's, it's why we all love to take all those assessments, right? Right. Because new insight about me. And essentially that's yeah. what we're doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, a part of the course is, and it's very, it's just very simple. If you're not a, a good communicator, if you're not an evangelist, if you're not a theologian, you can still do it by doing PowerPoint. You, it's really easy. Even I can do the course, you know, I click PowerPoint and then they they do a lot of um, table talk with with their little table groups of four or five, and then they do homework. But the homework needs to be done with somebody outside of the course. And what we're finding is that we've got a lot of running board people that come online to the next course that is being offered that were involved in the homework assignments. Yeah, and now we're actually new new Christians from my life workshop we're shepherding them to do the next course themselves. So brand new Christians inviting people in their oikos to be a part of this and leading them to Christ. That's awesome. <laughs> I'll tell you what, one of, one of the things I really enjoyed about the book, I mean, early on, you kind of set this up too. Um, and it addresses kind of some typical things that happen in church planning. And you just kind of right off the bat say, hey, we're going to debunk these, these kind of misconceptions um, that probably won't get you to multiplication. And I remember, and, and I'm going to, I'll hit rattle off a few of these and I'd love for you to comment on them. <clears throat> you talked about how typical church plants are highly controlled, yeah. uh, meaning that, you know, they're, they're, they're very organized. They don't take very many risks. And I think you also talked about how they, they, you, they insist on high visibility um, because the first impression has to be just right. And we have to get the launch just right. Or we might not get a second chance. And then you talked about 
how they have to be highly professional, that we need to have extraordinarily gifted people. And then you also talked about kind of high on persona that we have, it's really important who's on the stage because that's who we're going to attract. And you kind of, I mean, which is a typical kind of launch large approach that's, that's used a lot in the, in, in the, or tr- tempted a lot in the U.S. But you kind of debunk all of that and say, I think you'd say it's a approach, but maybe not the best approach if we're really trying to get to level five to movement. Yeah. So I gave you those four kind of hit any of them or all of them and explain why you think that's so. Oh, because that's, that's the manner in which um, in the Western world, we, we do church planting. And I think it's faulty for a number of reasons and we can do it differently and we can do it more better. Um, um, I think that oftentimes it, what we're doing is shifting the saints from one club to another. Uh, So, you know, from one church to another, so it's not really transformational, it's just organizational. And um, oftentimes it's, um, uh, it's management basically. We're, we're leading people to manage an event called, called the worship service that people get confused with the church. The church has worship as one part of its essence, but, but um, to be a true church, it has to be real uh, ontological change, you know, real change in the in the human being, and not just a shift in in where they meet on on Sundays. Yeah, I'll tell you as uh, for those of you that are listening in and uh, to 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 Dietrich and Oymenary, if you have questions, we're going to take a few of those questions. We already got some coming in, so if you have questions, go ahead and make sure Brooks gets those questions. Uh, we'd love to uh, feed those to uh, both of these gentlemen. And I'm going to ask Oyvin too. Oyvin, I mean, um, what other what other thoughts on shift or maybe questions do you have for Dietrich that you think would be important for 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 this audience to draw out? Just want to comment uh, two things in like from European perspective. We often say, well, if you're going to plant the church, you need to win your team for Christ. It's conversion based because many places. You go in and plant, it's really a totally mission situation. There are no believers there, or very few. So you need to start with what you have, or you need to kind of get a whole team to move to that place. And sometimes that's happened, but, but it's, really, it's really you need to win your team for Christ uh, many places. Therefore, it's slower, but it's really mission. So church planting is, in, in, in its essence, very missional in Europe and has to be. And I think what he said that, you know, Paul said to the, uh, the Corinthians that he came with power and wisdom. You know, that's the way the gospel came. And it's with experience and then explanation. And, you know, if you start with explanation and people have no experience to connect to that explanation, you don't get through. And I think Europe is a place where, and that's what he, he wrote about uh, from, from cognition uh, to emotion, that you need to come, that the gospel is experience, and then you start to explain the gospel on the radical experience that people have that God is alive or God spoke or someone really had merciful ministry towards us or someone, some, they have an experience that you explain the gospel. And I think that is more and more the way and very common uh, in much of the European in the, in the mission. But I would, I would say, Didier, you say one of the things is that 
you need to go from direct to indirect leadership. I think there is a lot of direct leadership in everything in leadership. Tell us, what do you mean? Yeah, direct leadership, um, a shift from direct to indirect leadership, it means who are the leaders that you're impacting face-to-face, who are uh, L1 leaders, I call them, leaders leading leaders or leaders leading ministries. Ask them to give you a list of their L1 leaders, people that you don't know and will never get to know, but immediately you you influence them by the people that you in in your life uh, who are L1 leaders who you are influencing. So that that is your true legacy. You're getting away from yourself. You're influencing people that you don't know who will uh, be on a trajectory of doing the same thing with other people. Yeah. But, um, let me let me say something about. Um, the downside of giftedness, um, and I address this in the book too, sometimes we overemphasize the spiritual gifts. May I say that? It oh. even sounds, sounds heretical. Um, oftentimes we, we suffer in church planting be, un, under the fact that we don't have the gifted people. Well, what do you do when you don't have the evangelist, the prophet, you know, the teacher, the shepherd? Well, then you give them reproducible systems that are better than the people that use them that get the same results as if you had the gift of evangelism. Um, So um, one way to go about multiplication is to multiply very, very many micro churches or mini churches as a pathway to the macro multiplication. So you take triads of three fat people. Um, You always start with fat people, faithful, available, teachable. Those are the three ingredients that I look for in people to invest in. You get three fat people, three fat men, three fat women. You gather them together and you say to them, I want to start with you a mini church and we're going to do spiritual breathing. Uh, We're going to read one chapter in the Bible every day. We're going to read the same passages and then we're going to meet once a week at, at our leisure and share how has God been speaking to us. And then we'll exhale, inhale, taking in the word of God, exhale, telling us how we have actually lived last week. Where have we been tempted? How do we respond to temptation? Uh, did we secretly serve somebody without being caught? Uh, did we, um, uh, were we angry? Did we remain angry? And another question. And then after doing that for a month, we invite a fourth person into our mini church, and that is a non-Christian. And we ask the non-Christian to do exactly what we do, but initially just for two weeks because she or he is afraid. So they're, they're being enveloped into it by just experience and, and fellowship. But the, it has a starting point and an expiration date of four months. After four months uh, of doing this uh, as a foursome, you go to a great restaurant, you eat some great uh, pizza in Chicago, and then you divide into two groups of two, and each um, group adds another fat person, and the thing starts all over again. So what you have is multiplication happening every four months and laying the groundwork for evangelism and disciple-making in a reproducible system that is better than the people that are using it without being tied to the gift of leadership. All right, I think this. I think what you just gave us there is a huge gift because um, post 
we're not even post yet. I'm, I'm kind of a futurist, so I'm already thinking post-pandemic. We're still in the middle of the <laughs> pandemic, but I'm, but yeah. what but people in the U.S. church leaders a lot. There's a lot of conversation about micro churches. Um, there's not a lot of people who figure out how to do it yet. And so let me see if I can repeat back what you just said. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm trying to get this. You're you're apprenticing me. So what I do is I go find two other friends that are believers, and we form a triad. And yeah, in that triad, they have to be your sex, though. They have to be male. Okay. You don't mix the genders. Okay. And then what we do is we meet every week, and we're doing what you call breathing. So we're, we're focusing on a certain section of Scripture and applying it to our lives and talking about that and even asking the questions around, did we... Are there places where we have been inconsistent with that? Are there places where we, we've served other people without flaunting it? And those kind of things. So after we're, we've done that for how long? A month. A month. Then we add a fourth person who's right. a non-believer yeah. and ask them to do exactly the same. Right. And so they do that. And then this thing has a termination date of four months. And after four months, we all go to Lou Malnati's for a deep dish pizza <laughs> and we celebrate and then we take those four and we break it up into twos and start all over again. Right. Yeah. If I could, I would reach across the ocean. I would hug you right now. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, people, you ought to, I mean, basically, I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, everybody's kind of like, Oh, so how do you do micro church? Well, there you have it. That's how you do it. Yeah. yeah. And but I love it because it's not, you're not, it's not that hard. The most powerful things in ministry are the easiest things. The most simple things. Dave, and it's a very simple thing, you know, and you put yourself under that discipline and it does good things to you and to others. So 80, in, in Germany, 80% of the non-Christian who, who are invited into the mini church stay. And of those 80% come to know Jesus. Wow. Yeah. I'll tell you what too. And we, we got, I want to, I want to get a couple of questions. If you have any questions, we will save some time at the end here. Um, as I was looking and reading parts of your book too. There's, I wonder, could we hit a couple chapters we didn't get to? I think. Oh, well, there are a number of things that we could go to. I'm looking um, at like chapter four. You go asking what to, to what, what if? Yeah. What is that? Yeah. yeah, asking the question of what is a binary question. So it's serial serial thinking. It's planning. So what do we do next? What is the next step after that step? And um, but. What it does is it, it gets you into an administrative mode in ter terms of church planting. Before we even get to what, we need to talk about what if. So take a whole month as a team to pray and to say, what if um, God had total control of our city? What if all the teenagers of, you know, Naperville came to know Jesus? What if um, Google Map, I mean, that may be an old illustration, but uh, all the non-Christian homes were a certain color, and they turned to another color. Um, they, know, they, they were Jesus follower homes. What if all the alcoholics came to know Jesus? Just it's, it's, um, What it does is it gets you to dream in prayer with others about God's possibilities that would outstrip your capability. Mm. So it's vision, visionizing the future. I mean, it's not a, yeah, that's, I mean, it's not a, like when we talk about hero maker multiplication thinking. It is a, it's yeah. a different way. Of, okay. Yeah. So in, in chapter seven, you talk about another shift because you give, these are 12 great shifts. 
Mm, then you yeah. switch from go to, to stop. stop. Yeah, yeah. And it seems counterintuitive. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I mean, we're all adrenaline, ad- adrenaline addicted. Those of us who plant churches, uh, that's our strength and that's our great weakness. Um, Spurgeon once said, "Learn to say no. It will help you that more than to be able to read Latin." <laughs> so learn to say no. I've never um, found Latin that useful. <laughs> 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 because you've never talked to another Latin uh, speaking person, maybe. I don't know. I, but um, so the, the best gift that you can give your church planting ministry is the gift of a healthy soul. And if you don't stop doing ministry periodically, you're not going to be healthy anymore and you're going to burn out. And the addiction of the church planting leader is to be needed. And you need to break the addiction. And you look at Jesus the way he, um, functioned when he was not in ministry, he always exited people. So he wasn't, he didn't allow himself to get addicted to people, which is our, our big uh, problem. And then he went by himself and he stopped talking. So we manage our, our lives and our ministries by our tongues. But when we stop talking, God begins to speak to us. So shift from, um, from go to stop and the spiritual disciplines. I talk about that. Yeah. Let me, let me hit a couple more and then I'm going to give Oivan a chance for a question before we go to uh, one of them for the audience too. So you had in chapter nine, you talked about uh, the shift from town to region. Yeah. From shift from town to region. Yeah. You know, when we talk about level five, what we're talking about, oftentimes we say the fruit of an apple tree is not an apple. That's adding or growing but it's another apple tree that's reproducing. But level five would be, it's an orchard. It's an apple orchard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do you do that? Well, you don't just have your own city in, in, uh, in view, but you have the entire region around that city. So the half of the times that Paul talked about the churches that he was involved in planting, he spoke of individual cities, uh, Corinth or Philippi, uh, Antioch, but the other half of the times he speaks of total regions, Asia, Greece, Macedonia. Mm. So he talks about regions and we need to be regional in our thinking and moving, I think. That's good. Um, and the, the, I think it, was the, it ended the chapter 12 on the shift from mundane to joy. Yeah, yeah. The joy is, is doing ministry with Jesus. So he's inviting you to do what he would do if he were in your skin. And guess what? He's in your skin. <laughs> so it's, it's, he's inviting you into the fellowship of the hinge, I call it. Um, um, uh, apostle, um, the, actually, the apostles, uh, verse one, chapter one, verse one says, I have written to you, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So, what he's doing is he's saying Jesus began to be a church planter in the Gospels, yep. and that he has continued that in the power of the Holy Spirit through his disciples in the book of Acts. So that first verse is a hinge verse. So he's inviting you into his fellowship of the hinge to continue to do what he started to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think we need to rename the book of Acts. Uh, it's not the acts of the apostles, but it's the acts of Jesus through the apostles in the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jesus is still alive and well and at work. <laughs> right. And he's inviting you. 
And every time Jesus is at work, it's full of joy. He does it out of, out of a joyful, joyful heart, and he's inviting you into his joy. So good. So good. Um, well, Ivan, because, I mean, <clears throat> obviously, I mean, you're from Norway, but you understand the American church. You understand the American. And you've been friends with Dietrich for some time now, too. What other things do we need to hear from Dietrich uh, for this primarily American audience here? I think he touched on something when he come to the like church led by pastoral or teaching. And so Dietrich, uh, I think that's underlying everything here. What's what are the role more of the apostolic kind of function and evangelistic function in the church? What what's what is there a shift there? How how what is happening in Europe and what do you see that importance of that type of giftings? when you come to church planting movement and, and multiplication. Yeah, God always uses gifted leadership and, and, and apostolic kinds of leaders who are people who have a greater vision than just one locale. Uh, they see something and uh, they believe God for it. And what they see is always above and beyond their means and capacity to reach. If, if your vision is in, in line with what um, your your means and capacity is, it's not of God. It has to be beyond that. You have to have the God factor in that. And apostles are, are the risk takers of this world. Mm -hmm. They're the spiritual entrepreneurs. They, they say, I've never done that. I've never been there. I've never tried that step, but I'm willing to take a risk for you, Jesus. And I'm willing to take people with me. So, um, yeah, apostolic leadership, um, I have a whole talk. I'm not in this book, but I've got a whole talk on that. Uh, but it's very, very key to see movement happen. Yeah. Okay, we, have, uh, we have several questions here from the audience. <clears throat> so I want to make sure we get those to you in the little bit of time we have left. But I also want to make sure um, everybody listening, you, you, really need to get, you really need to go ahead and download this, this book, Shift. Um, you go to exponential.org slash shift exponential.org slash shift um and i mean dietrich someone who has both been a practitioner and a thought leader in the church planning space for several decades now and in some ways what you have here i think is really kind of the best of the best he's kind of said hey here's 12 talks that i've done on church planning and I think they, and I put them in a format where these are shifts that everybody needs to be thinking about. And um, I'd really encourage, I'd really encourage you to pick it up. Um, okay, let's let me give you a couple of those questions. Um, let me. I'll start with the first one that came in. This here it is, Dietrich. It says this says, we've sought to be missional in our church plant, but our members, particularly those who've come from other churches, uh, so it's not conversion based members. They complain that the pastoral team does not spend enough time taking care of the members. I'm, I'm sure you've never heard this one before. So, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. there's a strong pull back to older models. How do we help those people to become more missional? Yeah, that's great. That's a great question. Incidentally, great questions are probably asked by great leaders. So that person is a great leader. <laughs> um, that is so typical. The gravitational pull of of even a church plant will take you toward the inside. It's centripetal. So it will take you from the outside to the inside and you need to fight against that. You need to ensure that they are being shepherded 
and you give them something like um, a mini church context in which they are shepherded among themselves, but yet in mission. You cannot do disciple making without being in mission. If you say we, we want to make disciples first and then go into mission, it won't work. Mm-hmm. You have to m- mix the two. Otherwise, they will never have a heart for the lost. They always, what, 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 um, what um, fuels passion is to be up close to the lives of people who are lost. And that will also fuel your own holiness uh, or Jesus likeness. Um, so I think you need to ensure that they're being shepherded and counseled and, and led into Christ likeness, but um, you, you don't get away from being missional. And if the leadership is not missional, the followership won't be missional. Right. I mean, you, your people will never be more, yeah. uh, more closer to Jesus or more holy, more in mission than the leadership is. So they, can't, they take their tune from you. Yeah. yeah. That's wisdom right there. Let me give you another one. Here's uh, another question came in. Uh, Dietrich says this. It says, is there a specific list of biblical, this is very kind of specific to your triads. Is there a specific list of biblical passages or chapters that are read during the, during the four-month-long reading together as a triad or as a quad? Um, and is this repeated each time with a new triad or quad? Or do you continue with another set of passages, chapters from the Bible? So give us a little coaching there. Yeah, it doesn't don't don't start with Leviticus uh, or the the Song of Solomon. I would I would leave those out. <laughs> I would start with one of the Gospels and or the Psalms or Proverbs. You know, just um, easy, good, fundamental things. Um, and you read one chapter. Each one of you read that one chapter a day, and then you come together and you discuss that. But uh, those are very, very uh, practical uh, passages of Scripture. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, here's another one that came in and says, I pastor a, uh, actually, I pastor an international church in Europe. Um, and I love the fat microchurch idea. Faithful, available, teachable, right? Yeah. Um, however, the natural inclination is to involve people, and he, the person says this, like me, quote unquote. We're trying to encourage our people to learn how to encourage people, quote, not like me. How might we apply this idea, but keep away from developing monocultural groups? Good question. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to grow as a Christian, uh, um, surround yourself with people who are like you. If you don't want to grow. If you want to grow, surround yourself with people who are not like you and even irritate you. Irritation is one way of... of um, becoming more like Jesus. I mean, you will never become more like uh, Jesus if, if you have just loving people around you. You need people that really upset you at times so that you can be tested um, and, and you know, uh, shepherded through that. <laughs> so really what you're saying, I mean, it just takes some intention. You just, I mean, if you want to yeah. grow, it's going to require people different than you, and you just need to be intentional about cultivating those relationships. Yeah. Because otherwise you're being selective, yeah. We'll gravitate towards people like us all the time, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. All right, very good. Um, Another question came in and said, I'm a Chinese immigrant. Can you tell me more about what you mentioned before about Chinese model of church planting? Uh, Why is that not working? Yeah, there, I mean. And I, I assume this is like early on, you said, I think a lot of us in Europe, we look to the, U.S. or we even look to Asia or Africa 
And that doesn't work in the European setting. And so I think this person is saying, okay, why does that not work in the European setting? Well, I'll take the T for T movement, which is wonderful. It's working well in Asia and and, in India and Africa, but it's not working well in in Europe because the European does not want to be told what to do. Um, He does not follow (laughs) direction. Uh, He needs to be very, very autonomous. and, And T for T is not for those kinds of people. And it's very structured. You need a, a method of uh, church planting and disciple making that um, that acquiesces to the European kind of mindset. Uh, so how do you do that? And that, that's why some of the North American and other continental um, things that just don't work in Europe because we're we're we, we're we're very different. <laughs> that's. That's the best explanation I've ever heard. That is, I think you're, yeah, that's. <laughs> so let me ask you, because I mean, I know in our, even at Community Christian Church, we're moving towards, uh, one of the expressions is more towards micro sites and micro churches. And we, we've got our first beta group and we got a whole other group in the queue. And so we are trying to learn from other places around the world because we have through new thing. We have people in Uganda that are doing amazing stuff in India doing amazing stuff. So I think I hear you saying, yeah, learn from those people, but don't adapt the whole thing. Right. Like we'll right. Am I right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you have you have to contextualize every every um, every new methodology to your own context, and you have to be very experimental. Um, my my mentor Bob Logan said once: a success in ministry is finding out what God blesses and doing more of it. So in order to find that out, you have to be very experimental. Try a lot of things and and know that you will never um, get everybody in your church plant team on board. Um, um, The great majority of people will not like new things. So you need to do subversive kinds of um, activity with people who want to run with those who are running. So you find the early adopters and ask them to take a risk and try something new. All right, we got uh, one last question here too, and I'll tell you what. Then I'm I'm going to ask Oyvind to uh, anything that he wants to do to kind of to wrap things up as far as maybe things he's thinking. Well, I'm getting another question, so maybe we'll have to squeeze one in. Here it is. Um, but be thinking about what you want to throw at Dietrich last year, Oyvind. Um, what are the best resources you know describing the micro church? I had- think that. Yeah, we'll go tos on the micro church. Um, right, wh- where would you point us? Oh, I, I think one one great resource are the works of Neil Cole, organic church, um, simple church, which incidentally is not simple, but um, uh, but organic church I think is a is great. Um, or his um, his book uh, where he talks about very slim volume, where he talks about some of these questions that you can ask in the mini group. Why, why do we not mix the genders? Uh, if you mix the genders in, uh, or the sexes in the mini churches, what you don't have is openness anymore. You ask that first question, where have you been tempted last week? And what did you do about it? People close down if there's another uh, person of another sex in the group, they won't be honest. So you, but if men are among men, I remember in Germany, I had, I had a mini group going, and we had a non-Christian in there. And, and the question was, where were you tempted uh, last week? And he said, I wanted to sleep with a woman again. 
And he said, and we said, well, how did you deal with your temptation? He said, I went to a prostitute. Well, you know, he's on his way to Jesus, you know, and, but had a woman been there, he probably wouldn't have said that, you know, yeah. but it was a safe place to do that. Okay. Good. Yeah. Um, one more, I'll throw at you too. It said, and the, this is kind of a comment too. And then a question says, I get the reason behind, not, oh, you're, I think maybe you just answered this. I get the reason behind not mixing genders. Might there be way? Okay. I think you answered that question already, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. You right. Thank you very much for that. Well, Ivan, um, what else do we need to hear from Dietrich before our hour comes to an end? I think we have heard a lot. And I really recommend to read the book, to, to look through the 12th shift and, and to try to get into it. Because I think he, he writes with a, like a European voice, but with a bigger kind of perspective. And he guides both the European and maybe also the American church into a way of the future. So I, I really appreciate uh, Dietrich says, uh, I am, I'm honored to be noticed in his book, but honestly, Dietrich has been a mentor for me for the last 15 years. So I have tapped into his knowledge and his understanding and his practitioner, the way he had, I really have done church planning for many years. And it has been a truly encouragement to be around him and to learn from him. So I'm, I really uh, encourage people to read the book, to download it on the Exponential uh, website and, and, and just tap into the resources that's there. Yeah. The book was dedicated to Irvin. Uh, so you get it just for the dedication <laughs> or, or for the, the, um, the forward, which was written by Dave. So Absolutely. I thank both of you. I, I love both of you very dearly. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to, I want to say a couple things, and then, uh, Dietrich, I'll let you have the last minute. But, again, kind of the, on the heels of what Oyvind just said, too, I think particular, particularly to those of you in, in, in the American context, you need to expose yourself um, to this kind of thought leadership, like what we're talking about with Dietrich, but also Oyvind when you get the chance. And, I, and, and Oyvind said this, too, and I already had this in my notes here. What it does as an American church leader, it gives you a glimpse of the future. Because I and, I, and, and Dietrich mentioned this at the, at the top too, what they're going through are things that we're probably going to go through maybe, you know, 10 years from now. And if you want a glimpse of the future, spend time with thought leaders from Europe. The second thing is, this isn't really flattering for us as Americans, but a lot of us Americans, we don't understand the European context but the Europeans do understand far better the American context. And especially folks like Oyvind who travel or someone like Dietrich, who, I mean, is literally born in Milwaukee. I mean, who, who grew up here and then has spent the majority of his life there. He understands both places. And so when he writes, he understands how this can fit in, in, in our context. And, and I guess thirdly, I'd say why it's important. This is an important conversation. Just exposure to multiple models makes for a great learning environment too. And um, I think one of the things that Dietrich is appropriately challenging is what has been a typical model of church planning in particularly the American context. And he's saying, you know what, there are other ways to do this. He's even suggesting those other ways that are more effective ways to get to movement to do this. And uh, you do yourself a disservice if you don't expose yourself to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful both for Oyvind and your friendship and Dietrich and your friendship and, and what you contributed. Um, leave us with what, Dietrich, would you leave us with a challenge and then maybe a sure. prayer? Yeah, yeah. 
think about this. Is it good to invite Jesus into your plans, even as a church planter? And the answer to that question is, of course, no, it's not good to invite Jesus into your plans. Think of the Lord's Prayer. You know, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not good to invite Jesus into our plans. He wants to invite you into his plans. Mm -hmm. And his plans are outrageous and delightful and beautiful and strong. And they will outlive you if you're willing to take a risk. So I'm asking you to begin to partner with the Lord Jesus and dream his dream to get something started that would get away from you, that would outlive you, that would turn into a movement that would um, just be like wildfire uh, to bless people who are far from God. Uh, that's what I would ask you to, to prayerfully consider to partner with him for his vision for your life. Thanks. Would you, would you say a prayer for, uh, sure, yeah. Oh, father, I thank you so much for my friends that I do not do not see right now, but who have tuned in, who've listened intently. You're living in their lives, Lord. You're living in their context. You love the lost around them. You love the church. Lord, you, you love these leaders. And I pray that you would instill in them a hunger, a hunger and thirst for new ways of honoring you, new ways of breaking into the harvest field, new ways of planting churches that would get into um, being multi multiplying um, networks of churches. I pray that you would take people out of their comfort zones and give them the power and the vision to do things they've never done before or even never even thought of doing uh, because they are following you into the harvest to plant new churches and to plant networks of churches. So bless my friends. And I thank you so much for Uvid and Dave and for all the exponential people. Bless them immeasurably, Lord. We pray unto your honor and glory. Amen.